we've looked at a couple of different things. Remember, we looked, uh, first of all, these same verses. First of all, we looked at just the whole idea of the Messiah. And that was our first teaching through these verses here. And then um, last week, we looked at the why of the Messiah's suffering and rejection and death and resurrection. And so today, we're going to focus in on these words of Jesus where he speaks of, of losing your life in order to save it or to keep it or to find it. And so let me just remind you, even as we read over the verses again today, the things that we saw there. So we saw, first of all, uh, Peter's great confession that Jesus is the Messiah. So remember, I mentioned how up until this point, the the followers, the closest followers, the apostles, those, those 12 men, up until this point, they still are not totally sure who Jesus is. And so there comes this moment where Jesus says, you know, who do, who do, who do people say that I am? And they gave the various answers. But then he says, who do you say that I am? And of course, we read it there today. Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us that Jesus said then to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed it to you. So Jesus really, um, he affirms Peter's confession and then declares the true nature of the Messiah's mission. So Jesus is like, yes, you're right. I am the Christ. But then he goes on to uh, clarify to them what that is really ultimately all about. It's about suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection. And then we saw, of course, Peter pulls Jesus aside. He rebukes him. And then Jesus, uh, he sets Peter straight. And then Jesus lays out the terms for discipleship. So in a sense, it's, it's like this. Jesus is like, yes, you're right. I am the Messiah, but it's not what you think, at least at this point. It's not what you think. Let me tell you what it actually is going to be. It's going to be suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection. So if you're going to be in on the program, this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. So Jesus, the first thing he does is he addresses what was the messianic expectation with what the messianic reality is. So as we have pointed out before, but just to remind you, the messianic expectation was that Rome would be overthrown. Remember Rome, they were oppressing Israel at the time. Israel was under the Roman authority. So it would be overthrowing the Roman oppressors, restoring the Davidic kingdom, and ushering in an era of peace and prosperity. So this was a messianic expectation. And in some senses, you could understand it because the scriptures certainly talked about this as being the work of the Messiah that he's going to bring in this everlasting reign of righteousness, that he's going to sit up on the throne of David, and he's going to rule over the house of Jacob and all of these things. But there was another 
aspect to the Messiah's mission that they had not recognized. And so Jesus gives them the the messianic reality. The Messiah is going to be rejected and going to be killed. So the kingdom is different than what they had envisioned, and so are the ways of the kingdom. Now, you see, in their minds, the way of the kingdom was um, Jesus is going to set up the kingdom, and we're going to rule and reign with him, and it's going to be just great, and peace and prosperity, that, that's going to flow, and the Gentiles are going to be subdued, and we're going to be part of the 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 ruling class at that point that was that was their thinking uh, there there was there were even times and we'll see them even as we still go further because they didn't totally get what Jesus was saying here we're going to find them arguing amongst each other about who's going to be the greatest when Jesus sets up the kingdom and at one point even the mother of James and John gets involved and she pulls Jesus aside and says Jesus when you get into your kingdom I want my two boys I want one to sit at your right hand and the other to sit at your left so this is this is how they were thinking but you see the kingdom is not going to be like that and and therefore the ways of the kingdom are going to be different so in this phase the kingdom involves denying yourself, taking up the cross, and following, yes, the king, but not the king that you were expecting. And following Jesus is going to be not following him to Jerusalem to then set up your throne alongside of his, but you're going to follow him basically into exile. That's what it's all about. And so Jesus is he's correcting their misunderstanding of the kingdom. And, and he's showing them that in this phase of the kingdom, now I'm saying this phase of the kingdom intentionally because the kingdom has two phases. And guess what? We're still in the first phase. We are in the first phase, which is the time of Messiah's exile. Jesus is exiled. He's exiled from Israel. He's exiled from the world. Today, you know, you can go out in public and you can preach any religion you want and you might get a few people rolling their eyes. You might get a great crowd wanting to join up, but you go preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and no, we don't want to hear that message. The king is still in exile. And so that's this phase of the kingdom. But Jesus is calling us in this phase to join him because phase two is coming. And that's when he returns to actually set up that kingdom that they expected a long, long time ago. So that is yet ahead in the future. Now, what Jesus does here is he basically, he gives us the terms of citizenship in the kingdom. So yes, there is a kingdom. It's just not what you think. And yes, you're invited in to be part of the kingdom, but this is what it looks like. It looks like, as we read, it looks like denying yourself, taking up the cross, and following Jesus. And, and those, those are the terms still today. So think about that. 
the picture that Jesus gives here is so counterculture to the values and priorities of the Western world, and, and even more specifically, so countercultural to the American dream. So, I mean, think about this. The, here in the, in the U.S., we have this ideal, we have this dream. And I'm not saying it's a bad dream, but it's just, it's, it's a dream of peace and prosperity. We want to live in peace. We want to live in prosperity. We want to live in comfort. We want to be able to do whatever we want to do and have things go as easily and smoothly as possible. And it's created a culture that has now become a culture that's just really all about the individual. It's all about you and what you want and what you like. And it it all comes down to that. Now, that's the culture at large. But guess what? That has bled over into the church. So even in the church today, when you say things like, if you're going to follow Christ, you got to deny yourself, pick up the cross and follow him. People are, hey, wait, what, I, no, that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I'm looking to do. I, I want to be part of the, the kingdom, you know, like I'm a child of the king and I want to be successful and I want to be wealthy and I want to be prosperous. And this message is actually preached in pulpits today. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. This is, I'm going to quote from an article that I read earlier this week. It's funny how, for me, I have these moments, you know, where you, uh, I just stumble across something and as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh, this is, thank you, Lord. This is preparation for this week's message. You, You just dropped this thing on me. So I was reading an article at the Gospel Coalition website and um, it's, an, it's an article that was written by a woman who's giving um, like a critique of a recent book. And let me just read to you what uh, this particular gal says about the book that she is critiquing here. So in her latest book, Girls Stop Apologizing, a shame-free plan for embracing and achieving your goals, top-selling Christian author Rachel Hollis wants you to believe in yourself, to take great pride in your hard work and accomplishments, and to do so without shame and with gusto. She wants you to go hard and unapologetically after your dreams. Hollis's message is, and here's a direct quote, All that really matters is how bad you want those dreams and what you're willing to do to make them happen. The author goes on and says, for Hollis, salvation is found in ourselves. The real you is destined for something more, your version of more. This is who you were made to be. And the first step to making that vision a reality is to stop apologizing for having the dream in the first place. Like Lady Gaga says, baby, you were born this way. It's time to become who you were made to be. To get there, Hollis says, first learn to love yourself well and give yourself credit. Then reach for more. She encourages readers to pick 10 goals, write them out every day, and meditate on the future vision we have of ourselves in order to get our subconscious involved. 
an example of one of her goals is, I only fly first class. That's not a bad goal. I like that one. How do, how do you... I, I want to figure out how she is going to get that one done. But so, so Hollis asked, is your schedule populated by things that will make your life better or is it dictated by everybody else's wants and needs? She reasons. Being occasionally inconvenienced is a part of life. And if you're willing to serve others, then you better be willing to demand that they do it for you as well. On staying home with her kids, Hollis says, it's not my spiritual gifting. It's not in my wheelhouse. You know what is in my wheelhouse? Building a successful business, managing a team, writing books. She's authored seven books. Giving keynote speeches. Here's my favorite. Crushing it on social media, strategizing, branding, PR, and planning live events where thousands of, where, where a thousand women fly in from all over the world to be inspired. Now, let me just remind you that this is a number one best-selling Christian author published by a Christian publisher. Now, apparently she missed the bit about denying yourself. Because there's nothing in anything she says that really coincides with anything Jesus is saying. Now, listen. I mean, she, she probably has some good ideas for people. I'm not, I'm not saying that we can't, you know, work hard to make things better for ourselves. But, but just her whole mentality revolves obviously around self. And her message is a message that is self-centered. But Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you have to deny yourself. You see, this is, this is our problem in our culture today. We, we are so self-obsessed. You know, the scriptures, when they talk about the, the environment of these final days... Many times there's a reference to, to men, women, people loving themselves and loving pleasure. And, and that's exactly where we've come. We've come to a point now where loving yourself is so much a priority in the culture. It, it just means that, you know, you love yourself and nobody can tell you what that looks like or doesn't look like. And you just do whatever it is that is going to make you happy and make you feel good because at the end of the day, it's all about you. So this isn't new in one sense because this has been the human condition from the beginning, but it's, it seems like it's new in the sense that this is dominating now the cultural mindset. This is the cultural mindset that ultimately everything uh, is revolving around you and your happiness. And so, as I said, she missed the bit, obviously, about denying yourself. Uh, the way of the kingdom. So here's the contrast. The way of the kingdom is not about discovering more of your giftings and potentials so your dreams can be realized. It's about dying to your own ambitions and living for the glory of God. That's the biblical message. Now, granted, that's not popular. <laughs> I mean, the other one sounds like so much more fun. But the truth is, it's not more fun. The truth is that, that this is all very thin. 
and, and it wears thin really quickly. And after a while, the pursuit of all of these things, it becomes obvious that these things can never do for the person what they're expecting them to do. They can never bring the fulfillment, the satisfaction that they, they promise. You know, the world and its goods promises much more than it's able to deliver. It never delivers what it promises. And, and we just need to know that that's a fact. That, that is a reality. When you think of, uh, you know, if you want to think back historically, you think back to kingdoms or you think back to empires or you think even to dynasties or, or whatever, you know, where you have these uh, people in power and you have wealth and you have all of this prosperity and, and these types of things. Well, for one, we only see part of that. For example, you take back to the, the time of the British Empire. Now, the British Empire was, it was said about the British Empire that the sun never set on the British Empire. And so it was a vast empire. And from a certain point of view, it looked absolutely amazing. Wow, this is amazing. Look at the British Empire. Look at all of these uh, places that they've been and all of these nations that they brought under their reign and so forth. And, and it all looked so good until you got on the ground and met the people that they had sub subjugated. <laughs> and then you start to realize, oh, wait, it's, it's, it's really not that good. But that's how all of this stuff is. It all looks so good. But then you get under the surface, you get behind the scenes and you realize, wait, th this is not what it's made out to be. Hollywood's the great current example and has been for decades, but they, they've got the picture of this is the life and this is amazing and this is wonderful and this is what you want. But you don't have to look very hard to realize that this is just a facade. These people are messed up. Their lives are miserable. They're, they're, they're just a walking disaster. And that's why they're in and out of rehab. That's why they're in and out of marriages. That's why they're in and out of relationships and all of these different kinds of things. So even though Rachel Hollis, and, and let me say, she's just one of many voices saying these kinds of things. She's, she's certainly not the only one. Uh, there are many other voices in the church. She, at least she's not a preacher. But, but there are preachers who would pretty much give a similar kind of a message. But the message that she's giving is what you might call a uh, your best life now view of the world. Your best life now. That, that's actually a book written by a preacher. And, but that, that's really what she's presenting. Your best life now. You, you only got one life. You make the best of it. But listen... Jesus is saying, your best life is ahead of you. When the kingdom is fully realized, that's when your best life will come. So save it for then. Save it for then because uh, then it's really going to be great and it can never be taken away. Now is the time to take up the cross and to follow him. 
Now is the time to take up the cross and follow him. And here's the paradox in all of it. Look now, let's specifically look at verse 35. 35, 36, and 37. So, so here's the paradox. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. That's the paradox. Desiring to save your life. See, that's the message. Save your life. Do your thing. Follow your dreams. Fulfill your ambitions. Save your life. Jesus says, if you save your life, if you seek to save it, you will lose it. That, that's the reality. If you seek to save your life in the end, you will lose it. Now, you know, we don't have, there's certain things we have no control over, right? You know, I talked to a friend last night and I had no idea that this had happened, but a, a mutual friend of ours died this week, not even 60 years old, and a fluke thing went in for a dental appointment and went under the anesthesia and never came out. And all of that to say, we have no control over certain things. And one of those things that we have no control over is how long we're going to live. And so Jesus, he, he goes on and he says, notice he says, for what will it profit if someone were to gain the whole world and lose their soul? See, that, that's a real question that people have to ask. What will it profit to gain the whole world and lose your soul? This morning at first service, there was a man that was here and he comes regularly and he's, I, I think, a very, um, uh, you know, he's well-to-do and he's done, he, he's been successful in his uh, career and so forth and he's following the Lord. But, but he was telling me that he used to be, uh, before he met Jesus, he was one of these guys who was, he was intellectual, so he sort of read everything, and he had all of his great arguments against the faith, and he would like to meet a Christian so he could debate with them and <clears throat> tell them why they were wrong, and he was pursuing his career, and he was doing all of that, and he said uh, somehow he ended up here years ago, and um, whoever it was that was speaking, he said, when they read this verse, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? He said, it just was like a bullet right between his eyes. And all of a sudden he just realized, wow, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world? What if you, what if you could become the richest, most famous, most powerful person in the world, but then lose your soul? Well, of course, when you lose your soul, you lose all of that stuff. You know, we, Talk about the, the fact that you can't take it with you. That really is a fact. You don't take any of your possessions with you when you leave this world. You don't take any of your prestige. You don't take any of your power. You take nothing. So what would it profit a person to gain the whole world? And then Jesus asked this question. He says, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Wow, what would you give in exchange for your soul? You know, this is like the deal with the devil. You know, we've heard these stories about people who, well, they sold their soul to the devil. I don't think that that's necessarily a, a legitimate idea. 
Because even if a person maybe had somehow done that, um, I don't think that that's the end of the story. But be that as it may, uh, so what, what would a person give in exchange? Would, would you give like, okay, just let me, let me have that moment of fame. Would that be worth exchanging your soul for? So a moment of fame for an eternity of misery, is that a good deal? Sounds like a horrible deal to me. But how many people have done that? Probably the greatest example in all of history would be Judas Iscariot. He trades his soul for 30 pieces of silver and the favor of the chief priest. The favor of the chief priest doesn't last very long. And what happens at the end of the story? He throws the money back into the temple and then he goes and he hangs himself. And how many people, though, have sold themselves? They're, what they're actually doing is they are giving, in exchange for their soul, they're giving or they're, or they're, they're receiving just these, these little insignificant moments of whatever it might be. And that is, it's crazy is what it is. But so often people never stop to think about it. You know, one of the things that is kind of shocking to me in these days that we're living in is to see people my age who are, and, and I'm talking about people who were at one time, I know people like this. I know people who were at one time sitting where you're sitting today. They had their Bible in their hand. They were seeking God. They were following the Lord. They were serving him. And they were involved in, in the things of the kingdom. And, but they're not doing that today. And then I see them or, or I hear about them and they're, well, you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to find myself. Really? At this stage, you're going to try to find yourself? Why bother? You really don't even have that much time left. <laughs> you know, if you were going to do this, it might have been a better idea 30 years ago, but it's really a bad idea right now. Because about the time you find yourself, first of all, you're going to hate what you find. And secondly, you're going to be dead. So what's the point? But what is, what is the deception? What is the delusion that comes upon the mind of a person who suddenly is willing to exchange their soul for these utterly meaningless and insignificant things? But it happens all the time. So Jesus, he says... Whoever desires to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Wow. See, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, lose your life for me. Give your life to me. And you will save it for the future. Now, you can hold on to it now 
and you'll lose it eventually anyway. And everything that you try to get during this time, you will lose that as well. Or you can just give all of that over to me and we will save it for the future. Now, I think that's a far better deal. If we think about the realities again of, of life in this world and we think about the reality of the future, because there is a messianic kingdom that is coming. There is that righteousness, peace, and joy that is going to cover the whole earth. There, there is that place of, of ruling and reigning with Christ, but it's not here yet. Now the king is in exile, but if we stand with him in exile, we will reign with him in the future. And Jesus said to these men later, he said this to them. He said, you are the ones who stood with me in my sufferings. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're the ones who identified with me. You are the ones who were not ashamed uh, to be associated with me in the years of my exile. Therefore, I appoint to you a kingdom and you're going to sit with me. So remember when James and John's mother said, Lord, I, I want them to sit with you. That is part of the plan. That is going to happen. It's just not going to happen yet. But in the future, when the son of man in the regeneration sits upon the throne of his glory, he said to them, he said, you who have been with me during this time of my rejection, you will reign with me on 12 thrones. And of course, the New Testament goes on to say that that's not only true for those men, it's true for all those who follow Christ in these days. So if you if you try to save your life, if you hold on to your life, if you say, no, this is my life and I'm going to do with it what I want. I'm going to fulfill my dreams, my ambitions. If you do that, you'll lose everything in the end. But if you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to give myself to Jesus and I'm going to live for him and I'm going to serve him, then you are just preserving your life for the future. And let me tell you this too. The, the, the deal that Jesus is offering, denying yourself, taking up the cross and following me, it's not only going to be obviously better in the future, it's going to be amazing. It's better right now. See, the world is saying, don't deny yourself. Don't take up the cross. Don't follow Jesus. Because if you do that, that's going to be miserable. But if you live for yourself and do your own thing, and, and follow your own dreams. That's where, oh, it's going to be amazing. No, it's not going to be amazing. Just look at all the people that have tried that before you and think about how amazing it was for them. And think about all the people around you that are trying it today. How amazing is that for them? Well, it's not amazing at all. But then guess what? The people who are denying themselves, taking up the cross and following Jesus, not only are we thinking about the future kingdom where we're going to be with him there, but guess what? Right now, life is way better. It is a better life to follow Jesus now. It is a better life to lose your life than to try to save it. It's a better life. 
See, when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. Yes, he's talking about the reality that there's going to be suffering. There's going to be rejection. There's going to be those things. But you know what? In the middle of that, there's going to be righteousness, peace, and joy that nothing else in the world can ever compare with. See, we tend to think that happiness and fulfillment and all that, it's all wrapped up in these, these things, but it's not. I was reading a book this week written by a friend of mine named Dominic Doan, and uh, it's a book on kind of recovering and having victory over doubt. It's when your faith fails, and it's a really excellent book. Uh, but he tells a story of going to Calcutta, India, and going to the, the ministry of Mother Teresa. And he tells a story of being there, and on the one hand, he's talking about how just the that the atmosphere is is such um, an unpleasant atmosphere because of the poverty and because of the disease and the sickness and all of that stuff. You know, for a Westerner, that's like, man, this is bad. This is like, you, d- you never want to end up in a place like this. But he was talking about how the thing that was astounding him was the people that were there trusting in Jesus, both the served and those being served, he said they were so full of joy. They were so full of contentment. They didn't have any of the things that we have here in the West. They didn't have any of the comforts. They didn't have any of that stuff, but they were perfectly contented and filled with joy. And you know, see that that's the reality. You can have all of the stuff that the world says you ought to have and be the most miserable person in the world. Or you can have Jesus and none of the stuff the world says you need to have and you can be the most joyful person in the world. So when you think about the trade-off, that, that's what it is. Now, now Jesus says, so like I said, the paradox. If, if you try to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose it, you save it. If you, if you try to gain all, you lose all. But he says, if you lose your life for my sake and the gospels, he says that you will save it. Another passage says you will keep it. And another passage says you will find it. So those are the three things that happen if you lose your life for Jesus. If you lose your life for Jesus, like it says here, uh, you will save it. You're saving it for the future. You're saving your life. Your life is not going to end in destruction, which it will if you don't lose it for Jesus. Every life will end in destruction that does not surrender itself to Jesus. That's that's the consequence that every single person will face. So you save it. If you lose it, you keep it. You you keep your life, you keep it. It's preserved, waiting, waiting for you in the future. But then there's an interesting statement in 
in John's gospel. So this idea of saving and losing and so forth, it appears in the gospels in in slightly different contexts. And in John's gospel, the 12th chapter, Jesus uses the same kinds of terms, but it's, it's in a different setting. And, and it's there, he says, unless a, a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it, it brings forth much fruit. And then he says, the person who loves their life in this world will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Find it. Think about that. It's about discovery. So what are people trying to do today? People are trying to discover who they really are. This is epidemic in our culture. It's, we're having a cultural identity crisis. People don't know who they are. And all of a sudden, they're on a mission to find out, who am I really? And where do they go? Well, the world says, you got to go deep inside. Go deeper and deeper inside. That's how you're going to discover. Guess what? The deeper you go, the darker it gets. At a certain point, you're going to scare yourself. Oh, no, this is who I really am. I don't like this. But this is it. We're, we're in this crazy cultural moment where we're, we are in a cultural identity crisis. I read a statistic this week, and I can't remember what the exact numbers were, but I think it was above this, but I'm just going to settle at 30%. 30% of high school-age students today are gender-confused. They don't know. What am I, a boy or a girl? I don't know. 30%? How has this happened? How is there this, this kind of craziness that is just permeating the culture where there's this massive identity crisis and people just, they don't know who they are. They don't even know if they're male or female anymore. Well, what is the solution? How, how do we, how do we, Address that. Well, Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. See, the problem is people are trying to find their lives and they're looking in the wrong place. You have to look to your maker. You have to look to the one who made you. That's how you're going to find out who you really are. You need to go to the one who made you and say, you made me. What did you make me for? What you, you made me, what, what is the purpose? You see, of course, the maker's the best one to go to on this. George MacDonald, the author, Scottish author from a while back, he said this, and I thought it was so relevant to what we're talking about. He said, 100 years ago at least, He said, I would rather be what God chose to make me than be the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been born in God's thoughts and then made by God is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all thinking. Wow. Man. You sure you didn't think that up yesterday? How relevant is that? Because this is what 
is happening, right? In the culture. People, I want to be something else. I'm really my true self. I'm trying to find my true self. But McDonald is so wise. He said, I I would rather be me because not only did God make me, but he thought about making me (laughs) before he made me. In other words, God didn't make me just like poof. And there I was with no forethought. No, God thought about it. I mean, sometimes using these terms for God is a little bit hard, but of course God knows everything, but, but God knew it. In other words, God knew what he was doing. He made you the way he made you for a purpose. And the, the best thing we could ever do is just enter into that. And that's basically what Jesus is promising. That's what he's saying. If you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you will find it. You will discover who you really are. And I want to say this to you if you're a teenager. I want to say this to you if you're a young adult. I want to say this to you if you're a middle-aged person. I want to say this to you if you're a senior citizen. I want to say this to you if you're 100 years old. God made you. And if you haven't lost your life to get into his purpose yet, do it now. Do it now. Even if you're 100 years old, do it now. Because you're going to enter into what God intended. And then, of course, you're going to fully enter in as we leave this world and go into the next. But this is the wonderful truth. I don't have to find myself. As a matter of fact, finding myself is only going to compound the problem. I have to lose myself. And it's it's just basically coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I'm giving you my life. I'm entrusting my life to you, believing that you, having made me, know exactly what you want to do with me. And I'm telling you, it's going to be so amazing in the future that we can't even describe it now because eye has never seen, <coughs> ear has not heard, it hasn't even entered into the heart of a person, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's the future. But I want to tell you that the present is good too. The present is good doesn't mean it's exempt from suffering. doesn't mean that it's exempt from rejection. It doesn't mean that it's exempt from dying. But it's mingled with all kinds of goodness and blessing and glory. But Jesus said this. I'm closing with this. Losing our lives, we lose them for what? The one who loses their life for my sake and the gospel. See, my sake in the gospel. That's what we're losing our lives for. We're losing our lives for something. Again, we're living in the, the day of the cause. Have you noticed that? All of the causes, people are taking up causes like never before. And it's, it's the day of the cause. I'll tell you about a great cause the cause of the gospel. That's what Jesus said. 
Lose your life for my sake and the gospels and you'll find it. And adding on this, the gospel, I think, gives it real specific definition. You know, some people might say, you might say, well, what, what are you doing? They're like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm just living for God. Well, what's that look like? I don't know. Just, you know, living for God. <laughs> it's a little too ambiguous. What does it mean to live for God? It means to live for the gospel. It means to live for the kingdom. It doesn't mean that we stop doing necessarily what we're doing. It just means that we do it for a greater purpose. We do it for the sake of the gospel. And so it means that we give our time. It means we give our talent, the very things that God instilled into us. We sometimes call them natural giftings. You know, there's no such thing really as a natural gifting. Because God, he created your genes. He's genetically wired you and put things into you that he would love to use for his glorious purpose. So we give our time, we give our talent, we give our treasure. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Think of, think of the people that are going to go to the grave with their multi-billions of dollars that are going to stay right here on earth. And all of their friends and family are going to fight to the death over <laughs> their great wealth. It's the way it always goes. But now we have an opportunity to give our time, our talent, our treasure in the service of the king. Losing our lives for the sake of Jesus and for the gospel. And when he returns from his exile, we will be there to rule and reign with him. And you know, today it might, following an exiled king can have its challenges. And he tells us in verse 38, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. And I think more and more, there's going to be pressure on those who are following Jesus not to follow him, to be ashamed of him, to be ashamed of his words. You know, there are Christians today who are ashamed of his words. I don't believe that God said that. It doesn't matter that it's written in the Bible. God would not say that. God would not do that. What is that? That's ashamed of his words. So that, that will happen. But are we willing to stand with him in this season of exile? Are we willing to be uh, counted out of the circles of desirable people and to stand with him? That's, that's the reality. It was the reality in the time that these pages were penned. And it's been the reality around the world for many people all the way since then. And it's becoming more the reality in our world these days. So we have to make a decision. There's two options. Save your life, but you'll lose it. Or lose your life. 
deny yourself, take up the cross. And that is simply a a metaphor for dying to self, right? Person picking up a cross, they were going one place. They were going to be crucified on it. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, he's saying, just die to your dreams and all of that. Live for me, follow me. And I think about those, those men, you know, again, in their context, they're thinking a kingdom, the messianic kingdom, the Davidic kingdom, everything's going to, Israel's going to be the epicenter. Jerusalem's going to be the epicenter. We're going to be here. Jesus is like, oh no, we're going way out. This exile is going to take me into the farthest parts of the earth but he's going to come back. And so you could not do anything wiser than to lose your life for the sake of Christ and the gospel. God help us to do that. Lord, here we are. And we think of these things, Lord, that we are immersed in, that we are surrounded by. We think of the the mindset of the day and the constant voice of live for yourself, find your true self, do what you think is best or feel is best. Lord, we, we hear those voices not just out in the world, but sometimes we hear them right in our own minds and hearts. And Lord, help us to hear above those your call to deny ourselves, to take up the cross and to follow you. And Lord, help us to gladly do that in these days. So work in our lives. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have done that, Lord, that we would continue to do it and not draw back. I pray for those who have done it and have drawn back, that you would reverse that for them. And I pray for those who have yet to make that decision to deny themselves, take up the cross and follow you. I pray that they would do that, knowing that in losing their life, they're saving it, they're keeping it, and they're finding it work by your spirit, those truths into our hearts. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.